to tell you something about the gospel is that it isn't simply a good cause. It's the great cause. Amen. It's the glorious cause. And it is the story that we're part of. We think about something that has gone before and how things are going to be. Here we are in the middle promoting the cause of the gospel, the glorious cause of the gospel. And today, as we get into the book of Colossians, where we are in our reading so far, you're going to see that Paul is at a time when he's telling the Colossian church, the small Colossian church, a Greek-speaking church he never met, but he's writing to them from prison, telling them, encouraging them, that what you have, you're not just part of a little story that started recently, you're part of something that's eternal, you're part of something that goes from the start of time, even before time began, and will always be there. It's the everlasting gospel of Jesus. And you are now the fruit of that, but you're also promoting it. Paul's talent that I'm promoting it as well, but it's not always easy. And so I want us to today find our cause again, find our why, find our reason, find our motivation and our energy again fresh. Amen. And we see people protesting, we see people fight for their rights. There's a lot of energy, isn't there? There's a lot of passion. And I want us today to find in ourselves that matched passion, that match it with them, but also exceeding that. And what you're going to see is that God actually gives us that energy, that, that passion, that drive, when the cause of our life is the cause of the gospel. So I'm just going to read our scripture now, then I'm going to unpack it with you. Colossians chapter 1. Verse 24, and he says, Paul, the apostle, writes to the Colossian church and says, I'm glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I'm participating in the suffering of Christ that continue for his body, the church. God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past. But now it has been revealed to God's people. But God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. Or the translation would say, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ lives in you. This gives you the assurance of sharing in his glory. So we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God, perfect in their relationship to Christ. That's why I work and struggle so hard, depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. Chapter 2, Paul says, I want you to know how much I've agonised for you and for the church of Laodicea and for many other believers who have never met me personally. I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. In him lie all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I'm telling you this, so no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. Although I am far away from you, my heart is with you, and I rejoice that you are living as you should, and that your faith in Christ is strong. Amen. So that's Colossians, reading from chapter 1 to chapter 2. So here's a church, like I said, that is new, that's young, maybe a very early church, as we've already talked about in the previous weeks. And they probably don't know too much, especially about the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. 
because they're Gentiles, they're non-Jews, they wouldn't have grown up with it. But Paul wants them to know in the, in the simplest and quickest and easiest way to understand that they're part of something that's glorious, they're part of something that's out of this world. And even though they don't know a lot, even though they maybe don't know the scriptures, Paul would of course later on encourage them with different teachers being sent to them. But, he, but it, this is the central thing about the Gospels. It's been, it's been hidden for generations. You know, before the first century, the message of the Gospel has been preached. And what the Gospel of the message, the, the message of the Gospel is, is the message of redemption. It's God's redemption for mankind. And God has been preaching the Gospel through generations. In fact, Genesis chapter 3, when man falls and man sins, God addresses man, woman, and the snake, who is the devil, of course, and says, from the seed of the woman, he will come and crush the head of the snake. Now, it's a strange thing to say, but the correct way to interpret that, understand that, is that one day, a man born of a woman, not a human father, okay, virgin birth, will come and he will destroy, he will destroy the works of the devil, do the curse that has now come on the earth. That's in Genesis 3. So it's the moment man, man fell, the moment mankind sinned, and the devil gained entrance to the world legally through man's sin, God has been preaching the gospel of redemption. You go right throughout the Bible, it's always been there. You know, Abraham taking up his son Isaac to the hill, God asked him to sacrifice, and of course he never did because he, he intervened. And there's Isaac on a plank of wood with his arms stretched out, about to be sacrificed, his son, his one and only son. And from the mouth of Abraham, he says, in this place, the sacrifice will be provided. And there's a ram caught in the thickets, with a crown of thorns. Where was that place? That place would become Salem, which would Jerusalem, the city of David. And God promised David, one of your descendants will always sit on the throne throughout all generations and reign as king. Get to the end of the Old Testament, Malachi, the Lord whom you are seeking, will suddenly appear in his temple. That's how the Old Testament ends. You know, the Old Testament very, it feels incomplete, but that's how it ends. One day, the Messiah will turn up, and that's how it ends. Get to Matthew, who turns up in the temple. Jesus. So all of this, this glory, the wonder, the thousands of, of pictures of the gospel, it's all been hidden in the Old Testament. It's always been hidden there. But now the fullness of it, now it all makes sense in Jesus. Now it's been seen. You can see it all in Jesus. But it would have been hard to see that before. So God's mysterious plan, the mystery has now been revealed. And it's not been revealed just to the Jews, not just to a slack group of people for the world, for God so loved the world. And so he's included all of us in this. And like I said, they didn't know too much, but one thing that they probably would know as Gentiles, as people in that part of the world, near to modern day Turkey, they would have lived in a world of gods, marketplace gods. You didn't want to step outside of that system because now the pressure's on you. Now. If there's an earthquake or a fire or a disaster or you get invaded, it's your fault because you weren't following <coughs> the gods of the past. Similar in some places of the world today, you know, when Christians no longer follow those ancestral spirits or 
those, those ancestral gods of their generations of worship before them. Philosophers as well, you know, Greece is the place of philosophy and wisdom, well-crafted arguments, right? Plato and all of those people. And here you are, a small group of people. And it's hard to stand out from the crowd that pressures on against this world, this myriad of systems and philosophies and religions. But you've got it all in Jesus. And that's, again, what he's reminding them. And probably what they do know is that they're suffering. So maybe they don't know a lot of other things, but one thing they do know is probably they're suffering. And that's why Paul starts to talk about his own suffering. Apostle Paul starts speaking about I'm suffering, I'm suffering for you. I'm suffering for the other churches. I'm making a stand, and it's costing me, because of course Paul's in prison. Paul went through lots of things in his time. But he talks about how he's not just suffering, he's actually participating in the suffering of Christ. And it's hard to get your head around this, because Jesus, when he died on the cross, he suffered once and for all, amen? He suffered for the sins of everyone. He was resurrected on the third day. He ascended to heaven at his ascension. He sat at the right hand of the Father, was enthroned, was glorified. He poured out the Holy Spirit upon the earth. On the one day, once the work of the gospel is complete, will return to judge the living and the dead. But yet, even though Jesus is there in that place of glory and throne, he still suffers. Not in heaven, but on earth. Because we're his body. Amen. So, if any of you have any children or family, when they're suffering, you feel their suffering, don't you? You don't just, you're not just distant from it. But Jesus feels the pain as if it's his own body, because we are his own body. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus isn't just out there, he's in you. And you are his, we are his body collectively. So when you, it's a comforting thought, because when you go through pain, he goes through it just the same. And he sympathizes with our pain and weakness. So though Jesus is in victory, we suffer. Why do we suffer? Because the forces of darkness that came after Jesus, they're now after those who preach Jesus. In fact, Paul knows this too well, because before he had a name change, his name was Saul. And Saul was persecuting the church. He had it in his heart to stop this sect of Judaism that was causing damage. They need to stop this once and for all, to stop the pollution of our nation. I wonder what his motivations were. As we know, on the road to Damascus, in his anger and his vengeance against the new church, the brand new church, the, the apostles themselves even, he's blinded on the road to Damascus. He's blinded with a vision from heaven. And what does Jesus say when he confronts Paul, or Saul as he was? Does he say, why do you persecute them? Or does he say, why do you persecute me? Because that's who the enemy's after. That's who the sin, the flesh, that's who they're after. He can't get to Jesus because he's on the throne forever, invincible. However, we're not so. And so when we take a stand for Jesus, when we take a stand for the gospel, we've now come out of darkness into the light but the darkness is still standing against us, amen? But the light is stronger than the darkness, amen? So the light will ultimately overcome, but yet nonetheless we'll suffer, and we'll suffer for the gospel. You know, in our Western context, offering the suffering that we experience is a few jokes in the workplace, I've certainly had a, joke, a few jokes all about me. 
in the workplace. But in other parts of the world, it's different. There's a, especially if you leave Islam, like we talked about today, or Hinduism, or the communist states, like North Korea. It's difficult to stand out for Jesus. The forces of darkness are after you. You've got to understand that. All who desire to live a godly life will suffer. There's just no, there's just no way around it. Maybe in our time, in fact we know, maybe that he will be turned up in our time. Maybe the things we talked about today won't be so easy to talk about. In fact, it's already getting more challenging. But we do it because we're called, amen? We do it because it's... We do, I didn't make any of this up, do you know that? I didn't make any of this morality up. When we speak out against abortion, when we say a man is a man, a woman is a woman, shock, shock. God said it was good, amen? Not, although the pressures of darkness want to make me say it's bad, I will never surrender. Amen? I will never bow the knee. Amen? Jesus said, if the world hates you, keep in mind that hate me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. So uh, my message today of encouragement is the world hates you. Okay? <laughs> Be encouraged. <laughs> there may be a few people out there that hate you, but hey, Jesus loves you so much. Amen. And that's all that's going to matter in the end, in the eternal realm. Amen. I wouldn't say atheist, but I certainly wasn't a Christian. 15 years old, had someone who <laughs> share the gospel with me in my town park with my five friends. And he was, he was really full of the Spirit looking back. I could see that. And he was sharing about Jesus, sharing about the cross. And out of all my friends, I was the one saying, this is nonsense. And I was really pushing back at what he had to say. I didn't like it at all. In fact, something within me was like, I'm not going to listen to a God to tell me what to do. I'm not going to listen to anyone. A religion, especially Christianity. Come on. And I couldn't stand the idea of it. And I think I remember pushing back at him. But when I objected to what he had to say, although I was horrible in my attitude at the time, it's like I just paid him the biggest compliment on his face. And he walked off as happy. I thought, this is strange. That didn't get a click around the ear. It wouldn't be the first time. But I remember, I think a seed was planted in my soul from that point on because it's like wherever I went on the internet, I'd find out more about God, more about the Bible, more about Jesus. Well, about that September, year 10, I think it was. And uh, they said, we've actually changed the curriculum this year. We're actually going to do biblical studies this year instead of philosophical studies. So I had to read Mark's Gospel and study it as an exam. I had to read all of Mark's Gospel, all 16 chapters, then do an exam on the questions of it. The weird thing was, is that I studied it so much that I didn't want any star on the exam, I didn't get any star on anything. <laughs> they were actually surprised, I sound like maybe 100%. I remember one Sunday afternoon I was reading the story where Jesus shows his glory to his disciples on the mountain. You know the story? And I'm in my living room, my dining room table, door closed, and I'm feeling this sense of glory. I'm getting a bit spooked out about it, because it's like, it's not just the sun coming through the window, it's like the sun shining in a different world, I can't explain it. And, and the Lord was talking to me, and I just so happened that a few weeks after that I got invited to an event, a Soul Survivor event, a youth event, 5,000 people there, 
great band, great teaching. And the invitation on the first night, he wants to say yes to Jesus. And I'm running forward, and what a transformation in 12 months that God had done in my heart. And of course, then going back and sharing Jesus with my friends while they were just like, I'm a And uh, it's difficult, but the Lord was filling me and showing me. And uh, a couple, couple of people in a different church said, Have you, have you seen the baptism of the Holy Spirit yet? Do you speak in tongues? I don't, I don't know what you're talking about, sorry. But I think I know about the Holy Spirit because I think I've had that feeling before. Like, okay, just receive. And I just said, just lay hands on me. I said, just ask Jesus to fill you with the Holy Spirit. I'm just in this little chapel, about five people there. And, I, and I'm just feeling this, this welling, welling, welling. You know when Jesus says, like, rivers of living water will flow. And I'm feeling as if there's a, there's a ginormous river behind me. Like the Hoover Dam is right behind me, about to explode. And as I open my mouth to say, thank you, Father, for this, I burst into tongues. Praise God. And you think, wow, I don't speak in tongues yet. Everyone can receive that gift of the baptism of the Holy Spirit with a sign following, typically tongues. Not always, but usually. And so I want to encourage you, there's more for you. Amen. That baptism of the Holy Spirit gave me boldness, gave me strength, gave me, it gave me something else, an edge I didn't have before, just as Jesus promised. And you know, you can't, you can't preach the gospel in your own strength. You see that in the scripture. Paul says, it's Christ's energy working so powerfully within me. Amen? If you want that energy flowing through, that power of the Holy Spirit, get in the flow of Jesus, get in the flow of the cause, his cause, his central cause, his most important thing. There's many good calls out there, and I think you should support them, but you must support the cause of the gospel, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, preaching redemption, no matter what the cost. No matter what the cost. And you know, it's not all bad and suffering. There's glory as well, there's wonder. The healings I've seen, the wonders, the people that have changed, how I'm changed. I have to live with myself every day. I'm glad I'm a bit different. Praise God, I'm glad you're a bit different. Because he changes us, amen? Takes that heart of stone, gives you a soft heart of flesh. You see here in the scripture as well, he said that, I wish that you were knit together, we talked about it before, in love. So, there's that connection with God that we need to be mature in. But how we get mature in our relationship with God is often through each other. And we need to be knit together in love. And when we're knit together, as a unified fabric, when we're baptised in that dye of the Holy Spirit, we're forever changed, we become a new creation. He wants to dip us again, he wants to fill us again, amen? He wants you to all the causes that you support, keep supporting them, right? But support the cause of the gospel. If you feel like, I can't, I feel like I've got no energy, I can't be bothered to talk to so-and-so again about Jesus. I can't face it at work. I can't face it with my non-Christian husband anymore. It's difficult. And Jesus understands that. Keep making a stand for Jesus. Keep loving him. Keep loving the people around you. He's going to help you. Paul suffered. We all suffer. We suffer often misunderstanding. And the reason why we're misunderstood is because the world doesn't know us. It's just as simple as that. But it's, as Paul says, it's him that we preach, 
Amen? Him that we admonish and teach. Admonish and teach. Sometimes we need to tell people that the house is on fire. Amen? <laughs> if I knocked on your house in the middle of the night, 1am, banged on your door, you would come down the stairs and say, how dare you wake me up? You're so rude. I love you, your house is on fire. <laughs> that is sometimes what it's like to share Jesus. We sound like we're banging on the door at 1am. We sound like we're disturbing things and causing issues. But really, we're knocking on the door because your house is on fire. That's the reality of it. And it's hard, it's difficult, but it's glorious in the end. Amen. Those who lead many to righteousness, it says in the book of Daniel, will shine as the stars forever. Will shine as the stars forever. So we don't just, here's my Christian life, it's just me and Jesus. But we lead others to righteousness. Amen. No matter what the cost, with his energy, with his help, and through the baptism, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. I wonder here today, does anyone here feel like they need a fresh baptism, a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit? When you think about what you're called to, I can't do it without Jesus. I want to tell you, you can't do it without the power of Jesus. Don't try and do it, because it will look like something else. Mm-hmm. So that if you were able to and willing, would you stand as we, as we finish this, this preaching of the Word? And I want to let the Lord minister to you today.